It is true. It's all true, everything they've said about you. It is true. It's all true, everything I've read about you. The evidence is everywhere. My confidence is growing. I'll testify. I'll prophesy. I'll start rumors of my own. Welcome to the final week, week three of this series, teaching series we've been in called Rumors, where we have been exploring all of the whispers and the prophecies and the rumors about God's promised coming Messiah. Uh, in the first week, we talked about how from the moment sin entered the picture, moments after that, God immediately spoke of his plan for redemption for mankind, to redeem the relationship between him and his people. From that very moment, all throughout Scripture, even right now, God proved that he is relentlessly pursuing us and will never stop. Last week, we talked about the rumors spoken about the coming Savior, something that Jesus fulfilled, that he was going to bring the kingdom of God into our daily lives, that the kingdom is not something we're waiting for, it is something right here and right now. This is something Jesus demonstrated through his everyday life, that God's kingdom is right here and right now. As we pray, God, may your will be done, may your kingdom come right here on earth as it is in heaven. And today, I'm going to offer you two things. I'm going to offer you one encouragement based on some more rumors we're going to walk through this morning, and then I want to offer one challenge based on the holistic concept of this uh, series that we've been in about rumors itself. So first, I'd like to offer an encouragement, which, um, hang on, something doesn't feel right. One second, hang on one second, just real quick. Okay, that's better. All right. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, happy Master Sunday. I don't know why nobody's mentioned it so far. Holy Week, whatever. There's golf, okay? Um, so this is, uh, this is my green jacket. As I've said every year, Master Sunday around here, there's three ways to get a green jacket. Uh, one is to win the Masters Golf Tournament. The other is to be a member at Augusta National, and the third is to find a green jacket at a thrift store in Rockford, Illinois. And I've accomplished over 30% of those. Also, it helps when a neighbor secretly drops off an iron-on master's patch to put on your master's jacket. So, I don't should I teach in this? I feel like, no, it's, it's too distracting, but I had to wear it, otherwise, you know, I'd get fired. Okay, put that there. All right. Now, on to more important things, on to an encouragement <laughs> from Scripture. So, uh, the first week, uh, all of the rumors we looked at were in the First Testament, in the Old Testament about, uh, you know, God's prophecies and speaking of the coming Messiah. Last week was kind of a hodgepodge mix of both, both the, the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah showing and bringing the kingdom, and then in the New Testament looking at Jesus uh, fulfilling that and showing us the kingdom. Today, we are strictly going to look at rumors in the New Testament Rumors, in fact, spoken by Jesus himself. Not only did Jesus fulfill over 300 of the prophecies spoken about the coming Messiah, but he himself also spoke of what was going to happen to him. That he was going to lay down his life for the forgiveness of sins and then rise from the dead to defeat death and darkness and sin once and for all. So I'd like to share with you some of the rumors Jesus himself spoke 
about himself. Now, some of the things he said were very subtle. So some of the things like we understand kind of in hindsight, but they were a little bit subtle. At one point, uh, Mary poured very expensive perfume on Jesus' feet before dinner and was washing, them, washing his feet with her hair. This was a, like an unbelievable symbolic act of worship of her declaration of who she believed Jesus to be, which was the promised Messiah. Uh, Judas, one of the disciples, was like, this is dumb. We should sell that bottle of perfume and give the money to the poor. And right off the bat, you're like, good for you, Judas. Good for you, man. That's a, that's a great idea. John, in his gospel, actually points out Judas was in charge of the treasury for the disciples, and his plan was actually to steal. So, nice try, Judas. Okay, anyway. So, she's doing this. Judas tells her to stop, but then Jesus says this, uh, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you. You will not always have me. Very subtle reference. Might not have made a whole lot of sense to them in the moment, but of course we understand what he was saying. Now, another subtle rumor comes one chapter later, and actually John specifies Jesus didn't say this till Judas left the room. John really didn't like Judas after what all went down. He was like, Judas left, and then Jesus said cool things. So this is what Jesus said one chapter later to his disciples. Dear, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So, a couple things Jesus said about himself. Again, we understand what he was indicating in the moment. They might not have gotten it because it was a little more subtle. Other times, Jesus spoke rumors about himself. They were very, very blatant, very obvious. And yet still, ironically, the disciples didn't quite get what the heck he was talking about. Uh, Mark 9, 31 through 32, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later, he will rise from the dead. It's pretty blatant, pretty direct. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Again, because he taught in parables. They're like, is this a real thing or a story, Lord? We don't really know how to. Uh, again, in Luke, it says the same thing. Luke 18, taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophecies concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans. He will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him, but on the third day, he will rise again. Again, real direct. Next sentence. But they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. Now, it's fun. I, like, I chuckle a lot when reading this because I'm like, how did you guys miss this? Where he's like, I'm going to die and then rise again. And we're like, yes, Lord, what does that mean? And he's like, no, 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 I, like, I'm literally, I, I will die, the Romans, like, I'm, I'm going to be whipped, I'm going to die, rise again on the third day. We're like, yes, Lord, but the parallels to the, what is the no, he's like, no, 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 they didn't get it. So it's fun to make fun of them, but of course, we have 2,000 years of hindsight, so, you know, we are a little bit better perspective. Honestly, though, thinking about it, like, why would they believe what he was saying? You know, they had believed, he had declared himself the Messiah. They had professed their belief that he was the promised Messiah. They had seen Jesus' power displayed in so many ways. Like with a word, demons fled. With a word, people who were blind and deaf and had never walked jumped up and spoke and heard. They had seen the power of God in who they believed was the Son of God, the promised Messiah. Why in the world would it ever enter their mind that he was going to die? that he was going to be captured or beaten or tortured. They would have, nobody would have ever thought that after seeing the things that Jesus did. But of course, as is always true, God's plan was so much bigger. 
The Jews believed that the promised Messiah would would give them freedom from Roman oppression. That was their idea, that the Messiah would come, give them their land back so that they would not be in any way oppressed. So he'd be like a military dude. And after watching Jesus professing their belief, they're like, this guy has power, it's going to happen. But God's plans were so much bigger. Uh, The very first time Jesus predicted his death and resurrection. It was a couple years into his ministry, and it was right after the moment he asked his disciples who, be, who they believed him to be. Uh, Peter was the one who spoke up and said, you are the Messiah, and then it says Jesus responded this way. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter, (laughs) I like Peter, Peter took him aside and began reprimanding him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. I love Peter, like, you're the Messiah. Hey, come here, man, come here. Hang on, guys, come here. Like, Lord, you, you shouldn't say this, okay? You're the Messiah. Like, I know you're the Son of God and all that, but we know earth. And you shouldn't say, it's a bummer, dude. You should not be saying this kind of stuff. Peter, like, I'm going to educate the Lord on how to talk. Jesus turned to Peter. He got him back. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing, here's a key line, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. How many times could the Lord say that about us? You are seeing things from merely a human point of view, not from God. So just as God was not silent, about the coming Messiah as he spoke throughout history over thousands and thousands of years over what was to come. Also, Jesus himself was not silent about why he came, about what was going to happen to him. Down to minute details that we understand now had everything to do with God's redemption for mankind, paying the price and the penalty for our sin. So why did Jesus speak so directly about what was going to happen to him. I think there are two, two reasons that he did this that I'd like to talk about. The first one, Jesus actually says blatantly himself. Uh, in John 14, he says to his disciples, I've told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. It's brilliant. It's like he's, he's predicting what's going to happen so that when they do happen, the belief of who Jesus was will be further enforced because the things he was saying were just so insane, so ridiculous that he was either crazy or they had to believe everything he was. It reminded me of this uh, brilliant C.S. Lewis quote where C.S. Lewis is saying that nobody can ever talk about Jesus as if he was a great teacher. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard that perspective, like, I don't, you know, I don't, I know Jesus, I think he was a good guy, great prophet, you know, what a great teacher, we should really take a lot of what he said as wisdom for our lives, but I don't think he was the Savior, I don't think he was the Son of God. C.S. Lewis says, we cannot think this way, because nobody who said the things that Jesus said about himself would be worth listening to unless they were true. A part of the longer quote of C.S. Lewis, he says this, A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. It's a great thing to think about. Yes, of course, Jesus taught wonderful, moral ways to live. But the other stuff he said about himself 
would mean he was either crazy or everything he said he was. A magician who says they can make a quarter disappear but can't isn't a magician. A chef who says they can cook a gourmet meal but can't is not a chef. Anyone who says they're going to die and rise again but doesn't is probably crazy. But a man who says they're going to die and rise again and then does is the Son of God. This is why Jesus spoke about what was to come. As crazy as it sounded, once it happened, nobody could doubt that who he was was who he said he was. And the second reason I believe Jesus talked about what was going to happen to him is reflected uh, in a moment where he is dropping another rumor. He's talking about uh, what is going to come. And uh, true to form, in a moment, I'd like us to stand as I read this passage of Scripture. We've been practicing this for a little bit now. Normally it comes at the beginning of the service, but if you'd stand now, um, these words are incredibly powerful, and there are nine specific words at the end of what Jesus says that I really want to camp out on uh, for the few minutes we have remaining. So here, another reason why I believe Jesus spoke about what was to come. This comes to us uh, from John 16. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, In a little while, you won't see me anymore. But with a little while after that, you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, What does he mean when he says, In a little while, you won't see me, but then you will see me, and I'm going to the Father? And what does that mean, a little while? We don't understand. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, Are you asking yourself what I meant? I said, in a little while you won't see me, but a little while after that you'll see me again. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wondrous joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, But I will see you again, and then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You can have a seat. This last sentence is one of the most profound things ever spoken and a major reason why I believe Jesus spoke of what was going to happen to him. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus talked about what was going to happen because he knew it didn't make sense. He predicted that his followers, including disciples, that they would scatter, that they would abandon him, that they wouldn't believe, that Peter specifically would deny even knowing him. Because what was about to happen would make no sense at all. From an earthly human perspective, what Jesus was about to go through is not the way to save people. It would not be to be beaten and tortured and crucified. It would not be to die. From a human perspective, the way to rescue, the way to redeem, to be a Messiah, you don't Die, But just like Jesus said to Peter, they can only see through their human perspective, not through heavenly perspective. The kingdom of heaven is quite the opposite of our kingdom. Quite the opposite of the kingdom of earth, making it very difficult at times for us, even today, to see what God is doing. In the kingdom of God, the last will be first. The humble will be exalted. We receive by giving. 
We truly live by dying to ourselves. That's opposite logic, not the way the rest of the world says is the best way to live. And so it would make sense that many of us, including the disciples in that moment, would have a lot of trouble seeing a heavenly perspective because we live every single day of our lives surrounded by an earthly perspective. And yet the heavenly perspective is what life in the kingdom is like. Jesus says specifically, we will experience pain and trouble on earth. Out of the mouth of God himself says, in this world, you will have trouble. So if you have ever had any element of pain or trouble or difficulty or stress or anxiety or something not going your way, it is a sign that you are alive. So that's good. You know, take that for what it's worth. If you have a difficulty, you're like, okay, I'm alive. Not a cyborg, not a robot. I am a child of God. Because he himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, that very world that you're going to have trouble in, I've overcome it. The Greek word used for both earth and world, when he says, in this earth you will have trouble, but I've overcome the world, exact same word which can also be translated as universe, because Jesus wanted us to know that the very cause of our pain, oftentimes, is the exact thing that he himself has overcome. And while our pain at times can seem unbearable, the power it has over us pales in comparison to the power of the one who has overcome it. The Greek word, when Jesus says take heart, comes from the root word for confidence and courage. The Greek word for overcome comes from the root word for victory. Jesus tells us that we can live a life of confidence because of his victory over the entire universe, including your biggest worry, your biggest fear, your biggest doubt, your deepest pain, your darkest sin, and anything and everything in between. Jesus was saying very simply, very profoundly, you can trust me. It is not going to look like it should. In fact, many times, it's going to look like the total opposite. This is why the disciples had such a hard time understanding even when Jesus was direct and blatant because the kingdom of God is upside down from our world. And oftentimes what we see happening is the exact opposite of how we would do it and yet the exact way that God would do it. We live in a world that strives with everything possible to avoid pain and discomfort and yet God speaks time and time throughout scripture that it is precisely through pain and discomfort that he creates us to be the people that he wanted us to be. So God says if you avoid pain and discomfort your entire life, guess what? You're not going to grow. You're not going to mature. That's why Paul says rejoice in times of difficulty because it shows God is active and moving in our lives. Jesus spoke about the things that were coming so that we could know we can always trust him. That he is in control. That he is sovereign. That he knows all. He has proven his love beyond a shadow of a doubt and therefore he is the one worthy of surrendering our lives to. And so we need to ask ourselves, what are the things that we aren't fully trusting God for? The things in our lives right now that don't make sense and in fact, seem the opposite of the way that God should be doing them. Because according to the disciples, what a Messiah should do is the opposite of what Jesus did. What a Savior should do is take charge. 
and lead confidently and obliterate the enemies of God. And yet what Jesus demonstrated and did was the exact opposite. That he served and was humble and laid down his very life. And in doing so, showed that God's plans are so much bigger than ours. See, the thing about rumors is that a rumor is essentially something that someone uh, believes may or may not be true, but they don't know, right? That's the definition of a rumor. But once it's proved either true or false, it's no longer a rumor. Anything that we hear is one of two things. It's either true or false. But if we don't know, if we're somewhere in the middle of that, we might say, hey, this is a rumor because I don't know the answer to it. Nowadays, we have Google and cell phones, so rumors don't exist because we can immediately pull it out and disprove. But a rumor, right, even in just that few moments before we pull it out and, and Google it, a rumor is something we're not true, sure if it's true or false. Rumors might be something that is true to somebody, but a rumor to somebody else. So while the prophecies of Jesus were rumors to many, to God, they were promises. The only reason we would say these were rumors about the coming Messiah, rumors about the Savior of the world, was because people weren't quite sure whether they could trust them. They weren't quite sure whether they could believe him. But that doesn't change the fact that when God spoke them, they were truth. They were ironclad, locked in place, promises and truth from the God of the universe. It was only because people got antsy and people didn't know what was happening and God was taking longer than they would have wanted that they started to think, well, maybe this isn't true. We heard this rumor, we think this thing is coming, but we're not quite sure if it's going to be true or not. That was from their perspective, but from the heavenly perspective, everything spoken about the coming Messiah was a truth, a promise from God. But because we are finite, imperfect, sinful human beings, it can be so easy for us to see the promises of God as rumors and walk through our lives not being sure whether we can trust them or not. Because when we look at God's plans, when we look at God is doing in our lives compared to what the rest of the world says and should be, it doesn't make sense. And so all of a sudden, the things that God is speaking to us, the things that God is promising to, to us, the things we read about in Scripture, we, we start to question. We're like, I think, I think God's present. I don't feel him. I don't see him. He hasn't done X, Y, and Z like I've asked him. So I'm not sure. So here's my challenge. What is a promise of God that you've been living your life as if it's a rumor? What is a truth from the mouth of your heavenly Father that he has spoken with no hesitation, with no doubt, and yet we walk through our everyday lives subconsciously or maybe very blatantly saying, well, that's a rumor. I think it's true. It might not be. I'm not sure. And yet God has proved himself faithful and sovereign and trustworthy since the dawn of time. And his word is filled with promises, not rumors. It's only a rumor if we decide to doubt it. His word is filled with promises from cover to cover. You would be hard pressed to find a stretch of scripture that doesn't contain at least one promise from your heavenly father to you. I'd like to read just a few of the promises of God. 
A promise of God that he hears you when you speak. 1 John 5. We are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. That's a promise. And so the next time you pray, whether it's in a moment of intense stress as you're walking from meeting to meeting or in the car or whether you're in, you know, like your prayer shawl closet or whatever, like whatever moment you are praying and you have this flicker of doubt that does God hear me, I need you to make the decision to say, that's not a rumor, God promised that he hears me. Even when it doesn't look like it. Even when what it looks like is the opposite of how you think it should look. Because maybe our perspective isn't God's perspective. Maybe his sovereignty is something we can't quite grasp in that moment. And instead of doubting and questioning in that single moment, we can say, Lord, it feels like a rumor, but I'm going to believe it's a promise. Another promise of God that we are never, ever alone. In James, he writes that when we come close to God, God will come close to you. In Psalm 139, David, who wrote this poem, says, I can never escape your spirit. Never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the furthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. I chuckled the first time I read uh, this part because I thought there's kind of two different inflections you could read it with. The first one would be somebody who's happy that God's presence is always with them, like how I just read it now, which is like, you're always with me, your presence, wherever I go. The other one would be, I can never escape your spirit. I never get away from your presence. And I'm like, that is about right. Like whether you want God there or not, you can't escape his spirit because he's present and he's with you no matter what. And again, even when it looks the opposite, Another promise of God, he can bring good from pain. John 1, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. A promise of God that he will guide us. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Why? Because it's human because it's finite, because it's small, because it's sometimes the opposite of God's perspective, which has so much bigger than ours. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Another promise of God, that we can live in peace regardless of our circumstances. Philippians 4, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And there are so many more promises of God that we don't have time to read. It is estimated there are over 7,000 promises of God in Scripture. So if I didn't read one that specifically spoke to you, I guarantee there's one out there. And there's this brand new theological tool that is sweeping the nation called Google that if you just plug in 
promises of God dash whatever you're going through, I promise you, you will get a result because God did not stop promising us about who he was. And the only reason we get in trouble is when we treat it as a rumor, not as truth. Because as we've explored throughout this entire series, everything that God said about the coming Messiah was true. Everything he said about redemption for mankind was true. It was a promise. It was ironclad. And the only reason we've ever treated it as a rumor is because we doubt it. And I've got to say, if I'm going to doubt my perspective or God's perspective, I'll tell you the track record of who got it right more often, and it's assuredly God. It's like a million to zero. So here's what I, I want to do. Before we close in a few minutes, um, I want to give us an opportunity to make the choice to take something that maybe has been a rumor in your life and make it truth. In a moment, I'd like us to bow our heads. And this is a moment just between you and the Lord. And ask the Spirit, ask God's Holy Spirit to maybe bring to mind a promise of His that you've been living as if it's a rumor. And after that, I'll close this in prayer. So if you bow your heads and take a moment and let God's Spirit speak and move this morning. Lord Jesus, it is undoubtable that your presence is here right now. And it might not look how we want, might not look how we think it should look, or feel how we think it should feel. But Lord, in this moment, we are choosing to believe your promises. Because you are so much bigger than our perspective, you're so much bigger than our plans, you're so much bigger than our emotions, you're so much bigger than what I see, what we see. God, thank you for your promises. That you're a heavenly father who 7,000 times in your word promises us something, doesn't demand something, doesn't ridicule. You, pro you promise to your children. Promise blessing. Your presence, guidance, help, peace, joy. Challenge, growth. Depth, purpose, calling. God, we're so grateful. And Lord, I pray um, that this morning might be the beginning of a journey for many of us to take what we maybe have started to accept as simply a rumor. 
and lock it in as truth. God, you would boost our faith right now to choose to believe, to choose to accept. God, give us heavenly perspective. Like we need, we need new glasses, Lord. That when we see things through our own perspective, we see things through the world's perspective, that God, your spirit would become a new lens for us to look through. And even when it seems opposite, maybe that in and of itself is an indication it's you. Because your kingdom is not of this world, but Lord, we need so much more of it. And so I pray, as you taught us to pray, Jesus, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth, in our work, in our schools, in our marriages, in our families, in our dating relationships, in our neighborhoods, in our cars, in our staff meetings, in our play dates. May your kingdom come there as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray this in your powerful, risen name. Amen. Let me remind you of the song Rumors that we started this series with. As we just heard a few moments ago, the song ends by saying, it is true. It is true. The song started by saying, is it true? Switch two words, it is true. Everything they've said about you, everything I've read about you, the evidence is everywhere. My confidence is growing. I pray now that you will testify, that you will prophesy, and that you will start rumors that are actually promises and truth of your own. Thank you all for being here this morning. We will see you tomorrow at 5.30 for our first uh, 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 chapel together as a Heartland family, and then all week. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you hopefully Monday through Thursday or Friday or Saturday or Sunday. <laughs>